Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 271 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the return of our King. Let's dive in. Over the last seven episodes, we've been walking through a mini-series looking at Jesus in all of Scripture. And again, I've been tying this podcast into my series that I just finished walking through the storyline of scripture at Ellerslie. While we were wrapping up that series, I was talking about in the storyline of scripture, the return of the king, the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And it's an incredible reality that we should be anticipating and longing for. And so I thought it'd just be kind of fun to go back into the Old Testament and see one of these Christophanies, one of these glimpses of Jesus, of how it portrays the return of the king. Again, we've walked through this before, but one of the ways that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament is through types and foreshadows and prophecy. And when you look at the idea of a type, it's used where you have this person in the Old Testament who we know is not Jesus. In other words, it's a literal historical person being recorded in the Old Testament. And yet their life is symbolic of something. It is a picture of Jesus or the fullness of the gospel. And as such, it becomes a, again, a glimpse or a picture of what is to come. Paul uses that language in Romans chapter five. He's talking about Adam and he mentions the fact that Adam is a type of Christ. In other words, Adam is not Jesus. (laughs) We know that very clearly. And yet Adam is a picture of something. And he's forerunning or he's a foreshadow of something that Jesus is going to do, which is why Jesus is called the second Adam. So here's what Paul says in Romans 5 verse 14. He says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Again, he's a foreshadow. Adam is a picture of something that Jesus is going to do. Well, when you take that idea and you come back into the Old Testament, you start to realize that there are these characters that become a picture, a foreshadow of Jesus. For example, in the story of Job, you have this character by the name of Job, whose name means hated and despised. 
And again, that is a horrible name to name a child. It's like, coochie, coochie, coo. What do we name our child? Let's call him hated and despised. I mean, that's just, that is a horrible name for a kid. But it's interesting that that becomes a picture of something. Job, whose name means hated and despised, lives in this place called Uz, which means the place of wood. And so you have this man who is hated and despised living in a place of wood. Well, that is an interesting foreshadow of something to come, where you have Jesus on a piece of wood who is hated and despised. Again, there's these glimpses of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. And I want to look at the return of the king in light of one particular story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel 16, you have this character by the name of David. Now, you know David well. He becomes a king. He slew Goliath. It's interesting that his name means beloved. And again, I think even just in that is just a beautiful foreshadow of what is to come. But we know that he's out in the shepherd's fields. Uh, He's living in Bethlehem and he's a shepherd. And again, I think that alone is beautiful just because of the fact that Jesus calls himself the great shepherd. So here's little David and he's tending the flocks and likely he's probably a young teenager. Now, this is before the scene with Goliath. Goliath happens in chapter 17. And so we know that up to this point in 1 Samuel, King Saul has been rejected. He is the crowned king. And Samuel is just grieving over the fact of how Saul is living. And God, at the beginning of chapter 16, says, Samuel, I have rejected Saul. And I found a man whose heart is after me. I found a man after my own heart. And I want you to go and I want you to anoint him. And so God leads Samuel to the town of Bethlehem, to the family of Jesse. Now, Jesse gathers all the sons together. And of course, Samuel comes in and sees the firstborn. And wow, he is like muscular. He looks like a king. He stands like a king. He talks like a king. There's obviously something about this guy. And yet God says, no, 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 I have not chosen him. You know, man looks on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. So all the sons of Jesse parade themselves before Samuel. And Samuel says, um, no, uh, God has not chosen any of these. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, well, yeah, I've, I've got one more, but he's out in the field. Isn't it interesting that here is this young shepherd boy who's overlooked, who's <laughs> apparently doesn't, doesn't have any care or concern from the family. In other words, here is a big event. The prophet of Israel has shown up in your home and the family has <laughs> either they forgot to tell you or you were not significant enough to bring in. But yet Jesse goes, gets David. And when David comes in, Samuel is so stirred and he goes, that is the future king of Israel. And this is what first Samuel 16, verse 12 and 13 says. It says, so Jesse sent and brought him in. Speaking of David. Now, David was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And Yahweh, the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And then Samuel arose and went to Ramah. What you see in the story then is rather intriguing. Here is David, who is the anointed king of Israel, and yet his family look at the scene of what Samuel just did and just said, okay, and they sent him back to the sheep. Apparently, they did not understand or fully grasp what God was doing through the prophet Samuel. But I want you to take all that. I want you to think of this thought. 
Here is David, the anointed king. He is the true and rightful king. And yet there is a king upon the throne. Saul is still sitting on the throne of Israel. And for Samuel to anoint David as king, that that would be considered treason. That you can't anoint a king while another king is sitting on the throne. That, that That's treasonous. And yet God had already rejected Saul and was establishing the kingdom of David. Here is David, the true and rightful king, and yet there is another king upon the throne. You could easily apply that to our modern day. There is a king upon the throne of this world. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. That Satan has a measure of authority right at this moment. Now, we know that he's been defeated. Hey, we get that. But just as Saul had been rejected, so but yet was still reigning, so too Satan, who has been condemned, he has been judged, and yet he's still reigning. But just as there is a coming point in time when David is going to be fully ushered into the kingdom, and he, he's going to be fully given the authority that he already has, David is the true and rightful king. But Israel doesn't recognize that yet. They still have not bowed their knees, but there is coming a day when they will. And do you realize Jesus and Jesus alone is the true and rightful king. He is sitting upon the throne right now, and yet the world does not recognize him as such. Why? Because there is another king upon the throne of this world, and he has been rejected. He has been condemned. He, he has been judged, and yet the world still serves him. But there is coming a day when, as Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11, he says this, therefore, God also highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name, which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Paul says, do you recognize that there is coming a day when the entire world will recognize Jesus as the king, that, that as he comes and establishes his throne, when, when he sets his foot upon, upon Mount Olive once again, do you realize that all the world will recognize that Jesus is that true and rightful king? Yes, there may be another king sitting upon the throne. Yes, he may seem to have a measure of power and authority, but don't let that distract you or woo you from the reality that Jesus and Jesus alone is the true and rightful king. Again, it's just a hint or a picture in the Old Testament leading us to the reality and the fullness of Christ. Again, it's not a perfect parallel, but it's a foreshadow. Just as you could look out at your shadow in the sun and say, hey, that's my shadow. And it looks like you, but it, it, it doesn't have the specificity of looking at you. And in a similar way, as we come to the Old Testament, we begin to see these glimpses, these sightings, these what, what I'm calling Christophanies, these shadows and types and prophecies all pointing to the reality of Christ. Can I encourage you, as you continue to read and study your Bibles, don't lose sight of Jesus. He is the author of the word, and he has revealed himself with his eternal purpose and plan which all centers on the reality of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work upon that cross. Yes, you need to study the Bible in its 
cultural and historical context. It, it, it's under, it's important to understand that the things of the Old Testament actually took place, and we need to understand them in that literal sense. And yet we need to see the brilliance and the sovereignty and the orchestration, the providence of our God, who is using all the things of the Old Testament to lead us unto Christ. That to me is so thrilling and edifying for my faith. I love the fact that God is not wasting anything in scripture. He's using everything to point us to the reality of himself. Well, I hope this little mini-series has just been a rich blessing for you, not only in conjunction with that little series that I've been walking through, that storyline of scripture, but also as a fresh reminder that everything in the word of God is all about the word of God, Jesus Christ. So thanks as always for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a link where you can listen to that other series, The Storyline of Scripture, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 271 for episode 271. And until next time, know I am cheering you on and praying for you as you build your life around Jesus Christ.